Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Um, so I was asked to talk a little bit about my experiences with Father School on Father's Day, so it's appropriate. Uh, and before we get started, I want to uh, explain what is Father School. And so what Father School is, it was an educational uh ongoing program that occurs every year. I actually just finished the retreat a couple weeks ago, so they do it every year. And it was to, um, it was for the Korean culture. So it actually started and it, uh, it, it was initiated and started in Korea and they brought it to the USA. And so uh, what it was for, it was to educate fathers in a, in a, in a scriptural and spiritual sense by using, by using scriptures. And what was happening every generation is what they were realizing is the fathers were starting to abandon their family. And it became every generation. They became work- workaholics. They become un- unfaithful. Um, they became um, emotionally separated from the family. They weren't present. Okay? And so... What did they decided to do was bring these men that came from these broken homes to this retreat. And so there's two groups. There's the participants, the, the, the men that came from these broken uh, families, and then the volunteers, the ones that went through this program, and they come back to serve them. Okay, they volunteer. And then what we do is we, we put them into, we separate we separate them into tables based on their experiences of similar backgrounds. And then there's one individual wearing what I'm wearing, like a footlocker thing. Um, and all vol- volunteers wear this. Thank you. And what they are, they are the table leaders. And they actually control the pace of these individuals. And the purpose of it is for them to share out their experiences that are very similar. And what we realize is as they're sharing, they're healing, right? As they're sharing, they're healing from these broken families and they want to break that generational curse. They don't want to be the fathers of the past forefathers. They want to start a new family with a new dynamic, with a new understanding of scripture. They want to go back to the family after the retreat, more spiritual and more in tune with Christ. Okay? And then the masters of ceremony or the facilitator will actually call up these individuals and they will share out in a testimony about their experiences. It reminds me a lot of the early church where uh, individuals would have to confess to the entire congregation. And what that does is it, it forms a very special bond between that congregation. When, when they know all of their secrets and all the things that happen, it, it, it creates a bond, a family in that congregation. And so that's what we see with these fathers, is they start to get really, really close and they become a family. And they start to lean on each other and contact each other whenever they're going through hard times with their family, okay? 
There's also uh, lectures, and these lectures are scripture-based by pastors. They do ceremonies like letters to their fathers, wives, and children. We sell videos, we feed them, games and activities, but the most that we do is pray. I actually learned how to truly pray through these individuals. Okay, There's the, they are the ones that taught me how to truly serve and to truly pray constantly. Okay, so what is the purpose of Father School? The purpose is it's an instructional manual for fatherhood. We are not born with this insight. We are not given instructions on how to be a good husband and father, and we don't even take any classes for it. In fact, we take courses for our ambition, for our profession, but nothing for our livelihood, for our faith, right? For our way of life, our purpose in life, okay? So they use scripture and fellowship to bond these brokenhearted men. And so that's why I got involved. My neighborhood invited me to come over, which um, was mostly Korean, and I became really close to them. And um, I go every year to volunteer in various services. I've done everything. I've done lectures. um, I've done cleaning. I've done cooking. Um, I was on the operations team. I was on the admin team. I pretty much did all the different variances of service. And you know what I realized? It doesn't matter what service it is that we do. It doesn't matter. In this church, whether you are a clergy, whether you teach Sunday school, whether you are a custodian and you're cleaning before or after, if you are making our bond, if you are a per- in the congregation and you welcome a new member into the church, it's all the same. There's no difference in the service. Why is it all the same? Because it's an offering to the Lord and he accepts all the offerings because it's of good nature, it's of of a good heart. And he accepts everyone's offering because it's all to glorify God. That's the point. It's all for the same purpose. Okay? And so, why do I go back every year? I don't have their background. I don't. I have an amazing family. I've had an incredible father. I see Christ in my dad. I had an amazing upbringing. I don't have their background. So what attracts me to see them, to bond with them every year, even though I don't have their background? Because I'm being served by them. I see Christ in them. I see all of the obstacles that they had to struggle through, and they became victorious in Christ. I go back every year to serve because I am the one being served. I am the one learning from them. Um, This past Friday, uh, me and a group of servants went to um, Homeboy Industries this last Friday. And uh, we got a tour. took us several years. Uh, John Abdu is the one that set it up. And Our tour guide was the name of Carlos. And he spent over an hour going over his life story. And all you can see in the entire group of servants, not a single dry eye. We were crying. 
we were bawling because he was talking about his life as a gang member and how he was wrongfully convicted and was imprisoned for over 40 years. And all we see in front of us is this man who has come to homeboy industry and start serving his, bro- his fellow brothers and sisters. He's bringing in fellow convicts, fellow gang members, and all we see is love. We see this, this, this industry that just takes them as they are. No judgment, no nothing. The only requirement, the only thing that is required is to walk through the doors. That's it. There is no judgment. And I remember him saying that we don't just, we don't just think at, at your mistakes at once or twice. You are allowed to make infinite mistakes and there is no judgment. There is no consequence. There is nothing. We are just here as a family to learn from each other and to just love. And it was amazing. And I honestly saw the family in Christ. Another reason I go back is to remember my responsibilities. And so all this Father's Day, I'm going to break it up into two parts. What's the first part of being a father? Is being a good husband. Being a husband comes before being a father. Why do I say this? Because your children will see the love that you two have and it will fall into place. Your, your children will learn how to love by seeing the example in front of them. Right? Actions speak louder than words. How you sow love between your spouse comes before you're sowing the love to your children because your children will see that. They will know that's how the family is. Okay? And so I think sometimes the influence of culture and society distorts our priorities. It mixes it up, including myself. So an example is at father school, they ask a very harsh question. And forgive me for this question, but I want us to think about it. It says, if you were a superhero and all of your family members were falling from a skyscraper and you could only save one person, who would it be? Would it be your grandparents, your mother, your father, brother, sister, spouse, your child? The majority answered their parents. And that's pretty typical in the Korean culture because what are the parents' level of respect in the Korean culture and in our culture too? They're held to a very high standard, right? It's very common for three generations of the family to live under one roof. And the parents are idolized. They're, 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 they're on a pedestal. And in fact, I, I've seen it several times uh, at the retreat where a lot of the disputes between the husband and wife is because of the interference of the parents. Where the father of the family will take advice of his father rather than, or his mother rather than his wife. And vice versa where the mother will take advice from her father rather than her husband. 
And it's quite common. I see it every year at the retreat. Okay? And then many said their children. Guess how many responded with their spouse, including myself? Zero. Right? Zero. In fact, I want us to think about it. In our entire lives, from birth to death, what is the one person that we vowed and promised to the Lord that we will honor and respect and love until we die? It's the only person we get to choose through our free will. Do we get to pick our grandparents? Do we get to pick our parents? Do we get to pick our siblings or our children? No. Who do we get to choose? He chose us. Our wives. That is the one we promise to take care of. Okay? And we know it's scripture. Not just making this stuff up. Okay? Because when we love our wives, we love ourselves. And not in the ego prideful way. You're going to understand what I mean in a minute. Okay? He says to the point, which is super difficult for males, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That is a very hard ask. Why do I say this? Can we separate the church from Christ? Can we separate Christ from the church? No. And that's why it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Why mention these two individuals? Because back in the Jewish culture, what happened? The parents took precedence and took priority over the spouse. Very common in the Jewish culture. The wife uh, and the, uh, the mother took care of the child, and the father was off to a land to do work. And that, that's just how the culture was. No one's fault, just how it was. So what is, and then they, they were completely responsible for the parents. And the wife was neglected. Very common in the old Jewish culture. And Christ says, no more. You guys are equals. That's why if we look, even from the very first marriage, where did Eve come out of Adam? From the head? From the feet? From the what? From the side. Equal partners. There's no difference between the two. And so... Why love? Why does he use the word love? This is a very hard saying for males. Males are what? Problem solvers. They're thinkers. They want to get the job done. But he says, no, show love. Because it's difficult. It's hard for males. And then he tells the females to do what? The wives to respect the husband. Because males like to be respected. It's our language. And what are women language? Love. They love to be loved. And so how do we do this? How do we do this in marriage? Trinity. 
husband, wife, and nothing can be done without Christ. He says, use me. I am love. Christ is love. God is love. So don't do it alone. I will help you figure it out. That's why he says, with men, this is impossible. Men. But with God, all things are possible, for I can do all things through Christ. Right? And then it says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Why bodies? Why the physical aspect? Because he wants action. He wants us to show acts of love. It's not just mental. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. It's physical. You've heard of the five love languages. What do all five uh, love languages have in common? They all use the body. Gifts. Tangible, physical. Words of affirmation, you have to speak. Oh, you should know what I'm saying. You know, we have to read each other's minds. No, they need affirmation. I'm sorry, I gotta work on that. Okay? Physical touch. That's obvious. Acts, acts of service and quality time. Right? All of them use physical acts of love. And then it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. And this is one of the, um, probably the, I would probably say the best advice I've ever was given was before I got married, one of my spiritual fathers said, the key to a long, healthy, and successful marriage is there is nothing worth fighting or arguing about, period. There's nothing. And if there is ever a time where you feel you are displeased or you are upset or angry, turn it into yourself. Because the wife reflects the mood of the husband. See, as a reflection, an image of yourself. That's why St. Augustine says, change yourself so that you may find pleasure in your wife. So if you want to be pleased with your wife, adjust your own temperament. And you will see that you will see the change. You will see the difference. Don't expect change from others. Change yourself so that others may change. And then the last one, which is my favorite. And the two shall become one flesh. Now, me and my wife have a very um, incredible, unique uh, marriage because we get to do everything together. We work together. We get to see each other. Um, She works right across from me on the hall. We go to church together, services together. We do everything together. I see her most of the day every day. A lot of families don't have that, 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 that pleasure, that, that privilege, okay? Um, and at the beginning, I've had so many people say, why did you want your wife to come work with you at this job? Why would you do that? You need, you need a break, right? Um, this is gonna cause problems to your marriage, right? You, you can't see her for that long. I got it a lot. And I, I started to have some doubts. I'm like, is this a good move? to have her come work with me. But then years have passed and we've now been uh, going to work together for over 10 years now. And 
you know what I realized? Why do I have such joy, peace, and happiness? Because of her. She is my joy, my peace, and my happiness. I, she is the representation of Christ for me. I don't know why I have it, but I know it's because I'm with her. I wouldn't have it otherwise. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so the, the, the point here, sorry, I apologize. But the, the point here is she completes me. And this is the point of one flesh. So that phrase is extremely true. It's authentic and genuine to me. She is my better half. Right? Because we are of one flesh. And when we are, and we, when we are together, we're stronger. And we know this. Those that are married. Right? We complete each other. I'll move on. Sorry. Okay. So, before I reveal this one, let's talk about the other side. What if you don't feel the love for your wife? Over many years, it starts to fade, it starts to diminish, and you're not feeling the love for your wife. And one of the hardest things I've ever heard someone give a testimony on is, how can I love my wife when she is unlovable? That, that brought me to tears when I heard that in, in a retreat. It was about five years ago. I've never forgotten that. That was the first thing he came when he gave the testimony. How can I love my wife when she is unlovable? That hurt when I heard him say that. And so we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to what God says about this. Since God is love, the definition has to go through him. The source and true definition of love for love is God. And then you're going to notice I'm going to substitute the word love for God. God suffers long and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity. God, but God rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. So what is love based on? That's the question. Who is God? And when we read this, you're going to notice something. They're instructions. It's not a definition. It's instructions. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love does and doesn't do. It's action-based. Is it based on feelings or is it physical action? It's action. If you know what love does and doesn't do, you can ask yourself this question. Am I doing the things love does? So the next question is, is, it pre is love predetermined or is it a choice? It's a choice of action. You get to choose to love. You get to choose to do acts of love. So you do not have to have a feeling of love to act in love. So if you're not feeling it, do it anyways. You sow acts of love regardless. C.S. Lewis says, the rule of all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we learn one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will. St. Ambrose, 
if you find that there is no love in you, but you want to have it, then do deeds of love. Even though you do them without love in the beginning, the Lord will see you desire and striving and will put love in your heart. Do not think, just act. Because the action will lead to good thoughts. And it's scripture-based. Even Christ talks about how, how his acts of love is to the divine Father. It says in John 15, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments. What are commandments? Acts. Physical. You choose to follow the, the commandments. You choose to have faith. You choose to believe. All acts of love. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And we see the greatest act of love in Christ. For even Christ showed acts of love to the divine Father by his humanity. When he became incarnate, Everything he's doing here is acts of love. It's physical. It's flesh. It's bodily. Acts of love. And a really good example that we're going to show here, since it is Father, uh, Father's Day, I want to give you an example of the prodigal son, but I want us to look at it in a very different angle, a different perspective. I want us to see it through the eyes of the Father. And this is an amazing, incredible example of acts of love. So we're going to look at the prodigal father. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And then what happens after this compassion? All acts and verbs. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let us notice that it is the father who runs to his son. He catches sight of him while the son is still a long way off. He runs. He lets himself be moved. The father urgently needs to show his son how he, the father, is in need of him. He becomes vulnerable like a child. So what does the compassion starts with with this father? He's extraordinarily transformed. This compassion changes him. He's touched. He's emotionally linked to his son. And then how does he react to that compassion? It's how he reacts. He throws caution to the wind. He's not careful. He's not slow. He's not thinking. He acts. And how does he act? He runs. Who runs? An impetuous child. That's who runs. An impetuous child. No caution. No care. Not worried about anything else. But what? I need to see him. And there's no time to waste. And then, this is my favorite one, he falls. Who fell? Christ fell while carrying his cross. 
And then you see the greatest, probably in the history of mankind, the greatest example of humility when he purposely falls to his knees to wash the disciples' feet. Right? The master became the slave. He put himself to the ground, which is the word humility. Humility comes from humus, which means of the earth. He brought himself to the earth. And we see what the father's doing to the son here. Same thing. He falls to make himself small and humble. He leans down to his son to catch his eyes. Be at the same level of his son. Look at my tears. Look how much I love you. Right? He opens his arms. He tenderly embraces his son to his heart and he kisses him, covers and showers him with kisses. The father exposes his heart. He lets his emotions speak for themselves without a word, without verbalization. All of his words are in his actions. The father becomes almost more vulnerable than the son. He accepts his sensitive heart. The father becomes the heart of a child. He becomes his child. All these gestures resemble the language of a child. Because what do children do? Before they speak, they express their emotions through actions, through gestures. This is how we speak to our children, through acts of love. Just like we're supposed to do for our wives. It's one of the same language. So when it comes to acting out love, we are to become like little children, our own children. The son needs to feel with all his being and even in his manly body, the love and forgiveness of his father. And remember when the, uh, in Matthew 18, when the disciples came to Christ and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he picks up a, a small child, right, a little child, and he says, certainly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then listen to this last part. I want us to focus on this last part. It says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So Homeboy Industries receives Christ every day. Doesn't matter what their background is, whether gang members, they're convicted, doesn't matter to them. They're receiving Christ every time. Father school receives Christ's, plural, at every retreat. And then I'll conclude with this. And I'm not gonna read it. What did it all come back to? And I think uh, Jeannie Malik uh, said it perfectly uh, during Mother's Day. It applies to the fathers as well. Is the first step is we have to be one with our wives. That's our responsibility as husbands. We are one flesh with our wives. We become one flesh who co-parent as one in Christ. And then we allow ourselves to be converted into our own children who go back to their father for help. So what do all the members of the family have in common? We all, all have the same end goal. We're all trying to re receive salvation. By what? Going back to our father, Abba. 
So our hope lies in prayer, going back to our Father for help. Asking turns, out, turns our thoughts into prayers, our anxieties into hope. When we pray, we give ourselves and our children back to God the Father. So we ask, we seek, and we constantly knock at the door and at the foot of, of, uh, at the foot of Christ, the foot of the cross. We're constantly going back to Daddy. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, any questions? Um, Abuna, can you pray for us?